All right, brothers and sisters, let's open our Bibles together now. And we return to Ephesians today, Ephesians chapter 6. We've been going verse by verse through Ephesians, and we're on the last chapter now, Ephesians 6. And here in just a moment, we'll begin in verse 1. We'll do verses 1 through 4 today. Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. Little Jimmy always had a natural resistance to authority. When he was growing up, his parents were always telling him what he could and could not do, and he hated that. He said, I've got to go to bed at a certain time, and I can't have a TV in my room, and I have to dress a certain way, and I have to go to church on Sundays, and I can't watch this TV show, and I can't watch that movie. I'll tell you what, I can't wait until I grow up and move out of this house, and then I can do whatever I want. Well, that day came. Jimmy grew up, and he moved out. He got his own place, and he got his own job. But then the landlord had all these rules. And he said, I can't play loud music at certain hours, and I can't have large pets, and I've got to pay my rent on time every month, and I can't paint the walls whatever color I like. And the boss at his job kept telling him what he could and could not do. I've got to show up on time, do all these tasks I don't really want to do, and I've got to work with Phil, and I can't stand Phil, and I can't wear what I want. I can't wait until I get my own house and my own business, and then I can do whatever I want. Well, that day came too, and guess what? Well, Jimmy got his own house, but then he started complaining, I can't shoot my gun whenever I want because I live in town. And I have to pay my mortgage on time, my water bill, and I can't drive a car without paying all these taxes. And then he became the owner of his own business. But he'd say, I can't pay my employees whatever I want because minimum wage. And I can't make them work all the hours I want them to work. And I don't have as much free time as I wish I did. And I have to keep the factory OSHA compliant or they'll shut me down. Am I ever going to be able to do whatever I want? And then Jimmy had kids. And he got frustrated because they wouldn't do what he said. Today we're, we're coming back to that section in Ephesians, if you remember, on submission and authority. Ephesians has three different categories that Paul gives to us of submission and authority relationships. We looked a few weeks ago at verse 21 in chapter 5 where it talks about we are to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. And then he talks about those submission and authority relationships. Wives and husbands came first. Today, we're looking at children and parents. Children and parents. Let's read our text. It's Ephesians 6, verses 1 through 4. This is God's word through the Apostle Paul. It says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Now, as I was writing this sermon this week, I kept thinking, okay, it says children obey your parents. And I was praying and thinking and praying and thinking, what am I going to say about children obey your parents? What insight or wisdom can I give to people about 
children obey your parents. And the more I prayed and thought, the more I realized you don't really need to do a lot of explaining here on this one. There's not a whole lot of explaining to do, actually. It's pretty straightforward. I mean, let's not muck it up with all of this fancy and and deep explanation. Sometimes the Bible is so simple that all the kids in the room can understand what it's saying. Children, obey your parents in the Lord. And so, you might be saying, well, all right then. You said what you needed to say, so let's go home. Not so fast, heathens. What needs unpacking is all the stuff around it, right? All the stuff around it. Because that simple command is very simple, but it's not always so easy, right? All of us, I hope, remember, it's not always easy to follow even the simplest commands in the Bible. I first want to draw your attention to how at the end of verse 1, Paul says this is right. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right right. It is good and right for parents to have authority over their children and for children to be obedient and submissive to their parents. This is good and right. This is the way God has created the world. It is the way he's created human beings. And as human beings, we flourish when we act in accordance with the way that God has created us. When we act in accordance with the way God made us and made the world, we flourish. And on the flip side, if we try to live in opposition to the way God made us, we suffer. In all kinds of different ways, not just with this command. Anytime we try to live against the grain of the way that God made us, we suffer. Even if we experience some temporary fake happiness in the disobedience of God's will, We always end up suffering anytime we live against the way that God made us and made the world. God did this on purpose. Many people view the Bible as God's list of all the things that we can't do. It's just God trying to keep us from having fun. But in reality, God's commands in the Bible are given to us out of love to show us how to live in harmony with the way God made us and with the way he made us the world. And so God here, and in many other places in scripture, is trying to keep us from making our own lives miserable. His commands are a way for him to try to keep us from making our own lives miserable. And it takes us years and years to learn that. Not just up here, but in here, right? It takes us years and years to trust that God doesn't want me to be miserable. That's why he's trying to keep me away from these things. Think all the way back to Adam and Eve. In the beginning, that's the way it was. God wanted them to live in harmony with him. They wanted them to have true and ultimate happiness. But Satan convinced them that happiness could be found elsewhere. It was an out-and-out lie. It was an absolute lie. But he convinced them to believe it. And we are believing it in all kinds of ways today, brothers and sisters. Not just the people out there in the culture. We are believing the lie. That we can find happiness apart from God's will. Every time we sin, every time we break one of God's commandments, we're believing that lie, if only just for a moment, that I can have happiness apart from God's will. God is not trying to keep us from having fun. God is not trying to squash our joy. 
He's trying to lead us into true happiness. It can only be found when we live in harmony with him and his will and his commands. If only we would trust him. If only we would trust him. Now, it's important for us to note, when Paul says, this is right, this is right, he means this is the way the world should work. We live in a culture that consistently undermines the God-given authority parents have over their own children. Our culture, at every turn it seems, consistently undermines this. We have people today, believe it or not, arguing that kids should be able to transition to a different gender without any input from their parents. We have people arguing in the public square that kids should have the right to get surgery performed on their own bodies without the approval of their parents. We have people arguing today that teenagers should be able to have abortions without the consent of their own parents. And we have people arguing today that parents should not have a say in what their kids are taught in schools. Indeed, in some places around the world, homeschooling is illegal today because the government does not want to give parents full control over the education of their own children. Parent authority, parental authority is being undermined at every turn in the culture that we live in. Now, sometimes we look out at what's going on in our society, in our culture today, and we think, I never in my life thought I would hear people saying stuff like this. This is complete insanity, we often think. What is going on in people's minds? What's going on with the world? Ah, but when a culture abandons belief in God as our ultimate authority, is it any wonder this is where it leads? Is it any surprise that this is what naturally follows? Because without a creator God, without a creator God, all other relationships get upended. There's no foundation, no anchor from which to say that any kind of created order exists when you've thrown off God. There's no such thing as a creative order if you don't have a creator, God. Without God, everything is up for grabs. Sexuality, gender, marriage, parenting, the right to life. None of this has any kind of anchor without a creator, God, giving us his definition of right and wrong. And so it should not surprise us, brothers and sisters, this is where leaving God behind leads and so children are to obey, to obey their parents. Why? Because this is what is right. This is what is right. Children, obey your parents because that is what is right. It's the way that God has made the world. It's the way that God has made us as human beings. And if we go against that, we will only be doing so to our own sorrow and suffering. But it's not just right when it comes to the natural order of things. Not just when it comes to the natural order of things. It is right, in another sense, it is right in the sight of God himself. It's right in the sight of God himself. Look at verses 2 and 3 with me in your text. One more time, verses 2 and 3. Notice how Paul refers back to the fifth of the Ten Commandments. 
Verse 2, he says, honor your father and mother. And then in parentheses, at least in my Bible, it says, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. He's talking about the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. And notice how he says, this is the first commandment with a promise. What does that mean? Well, when you read through the Ten Commandments, this is the first one of the ten that has a promise attached to it at the end. The promise, he actually quotes in verse 3. Notice how in verse 3, I hope your Bible does this, mine, my, my ESV does. It has quotation marks around verse 3 because he's actually quoting the Old Testament commandment here and the Old Testament promise that went with it. Uh, you might say from Exodus 20 or Deuteronomy 5, those are the places that we find the Ten Commandments. But he's quoting Exodus 20:12 here, and the promise that goes with honor your father and mother is that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And as you read through the Ten Commandments, you'll actually notice this is the only one of the Ten Commandments that has a promise like that attached to it that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. And so don't get this wrong here. Don't misunderstand this. Paul is not saying that every child who obeys their parent will live a long life. That's not what he's saying. He is not saying that every child who obeys their parent will not have any problems with their land. Now he's quoting the Old Testament promise. Who was it given to? Remember the Israelites at Mount Sinai? Where were they going? They were going to the promised land. And the commandment says, if your children obey the parents in the nation of Israel, then God is saying, I will make sure you live long in that land. But if they do not, then I'll have the land vomit you out. I'll bring in another nation full of ruthless people to destroy your land and cart you off as slaves. And that's exactly what happened after many generations and many decades in that promised land. God takes children obeying their parents very seriously. He takes it very seriously. Check out these lists of sins in the New Testament. They'll be up on your screen, starting with Romans 1, 29 through 30. Romans 1, 29 through 30, it's a list of sins, and it says, They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice, they're full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil. And then he slides this one in with all the rest. Disobedient to parents. It's always stuck out like a sore thumb to me. In that big list of all those horrific sins, we've got disobedience to parents. Or check out 2 Timothy 3.2, which says, For in latter days people will be lovers of self, lovers of money, proud, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to parents, ungrateful, and unholy. And he goes on. God takes this very seriously. Disobedience to parents. Now, we've been talking about the Israelites. Let's bring it into our context today. Because in the Old Testament, God said, if the children obeyed their parents, the Israelites would live long in the land, and it would go well with them. It would go well with them. Well, in 2022 in America, you watch 
and see what happens when a society abandons the fundamental authority relationship of parent to child. We're watching it as it unfolds. We're seeing it. Kids, one of the things that this shows us is that it pleases God when we obey our parents. Because God said the Israelites would live long in the land if they obeyed their parents, if the children obeyed their parents. God would make sure they lived long in the land. God would make sure that that happened. Why? Because children obeying their parents pleases God. We've talked often in our series on Ephesians how Colossians is kind of the companion book in the New Testament to Ephesians. And the companion verse to this right here in Colossians is Colossians 3.20. It says, children... Obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. It pleases God. It is right because it is right in the sight of God. It pleases the Lord when children obey their parents. Do you know that even Jesus was obedient to his parents while he was growing up? Even Jesus obeyed his parents. In Luke chapter 2, if you remember, we we get the only story that we have in the Bible of Jesus' adolescence, you might say. He's 12 years old, and we get that story of Jesus being lost. He's in the temple, and his parents didn't know where he was, and they kind of went with the caravan and just thought he was with them, and he wasn't. And in a panic, they run back to Jerusalem trying to find him. He was in the temple all along. He says, Mom, Dad, didn't you know I had to be in my father's house? And they, they, they don't understand immediately what he's saying. But then in Luke 2, 51, we read this. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. Jesus was submissive to his parents. Jesus. I mean, think about this for a moment. He is Joseph and Mary's Lord. He's their Lord. And yet they're raising him and he's submissive to them. Not only is he their Lord, the book of John tells us that God made everything that he made through Jesus, through the Son. And if that's the case, Jesus isn't just Mary and Joseph's Lord. He's their maker. And he submits to them. Jesus, their Lord and maker, submitted to them. Why? Because they're his parents. For this is right. Because God has ordained that parents have authority over their kids. I used to hate it when my parents would ask me to do something. And I would say, why? And then they would respond with, because I what? Because I said so. And I would think, that's not a reason. You don't have a reason. So that's what you're going back on. That's your your cop out when you don't have a reason. You go back to that, because I said so. I thought I was so smart. But I wasn't thinking about this. I have a requirement to obey them, whether they give me a good reason or not. Whether they have one or not. Because this is right. Because God said, honor your father and mother. The submission of Jesus shows us this. We don't just obey our parents because we agree with everything they ask. We don't just obey our parents because they're smarter than us or because they're, they're, they're just some genius who knows everything about life. We don't just obey our parents because they've got good reasons for everything they ask us to do. We obey them 
because God has set them over us. We obey them because we want to please God. And what Paul and scripture is teaching us here is that when we rebel against our parents, we rebel against God himself. When we resist our parents' will, we resist the will of God himself. Now, for a moment, we need to ask a question. What about those of us who are adults who still have our parents alive? Does this verse apply to us? And the answer is yes, but not in the same way. Yes, but not as in the same way. There is a sense, biblically, in which we leave our father and mother and become united to our spouse when we are married. Remember Genesis 2, 24, right? We leave our father and mother, we become united to our spouse. And in that way, the relationship changes, the relationship between father and mother and child. We leave our father and mother, it says, and become united to our spouse. There's also a sense in which, because not everyone gets married, when we come into adulthood, we are no longer children. Yes, I understand that we are always the children of our parents, but Paul here is specifically addressing young children who are still under the care of mom and dad. That's who he's addressing in this text. He's not talking about everyone who has a living parent. He's specifically addressing children still under the care of mom and dad. And so this authority-submission relationship does not remain the same throughout the course of your life. However... It is honoring to God and pleasing to God for us to continue to honor our father and mother as long as they live and even in some ways after they pass. Recently in the magazine Christianity Today, there was an article by Jen Pollock Michael entitled, There's No Substitute for Presence, So I Uprooted My Family. That's the title. The article was all about how her aging parents needed more care than they could get where they were living. She and her family, her husband and her, they had pursued their careers. They were living far away from where their parents lived, from where her parents lived. And so as her parents aged and she saw that they needed care, she uprooted her family and her husband with her and her kids with her. And they all moved back to her hometown so that in the last years of their life, she could take care of her mom and dad. She writes that she wanted to return a debt of gratitude to God and to her parents. In a world full of individualism, where self-determination is the ultimate value, where you don't let anyone else determine your plans for your life, this is a wonderfully countercultural move that points to the self-sacrificial love of Jesus. Jesus, if you remember, as he hung on the cross, made provision for his mother. He made provision for his mother. He pointed to the disciple whom he loved, John, who was there at the cross, and he told his mother, Behold, this is now your son. He told John, This is now your mother. And it says from that moment on, he, the disciple, took Mary, Jesus' mother, into his home, and cared for her. And so let us think, adults who still have our parents living, let us think about how we can please God by honoring our parents, by even submitting to our parents when we can, 
by giving them of ourselves, by sacrificing ourselves for their good, returning, as Jim Pollock Michael said there, returning a debt of gratitude to the Lord and to them as well. Now, finally today, we need to look at the end of our passage, and it gives us a word to fathers. A word to fathers, verse 4. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, don't provoke your children to anger. Just like in the section on wives and husbands, it protects. God himself gives us words that protects from the abuse of the one in the authority position. It protects those who are to be submissive under them. So here, God does the same. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Or as the NIV says, do not exasperate your children. Now, what does this actually mean? Let's ask ourselves that. Well, there will certainly be times, dads, where your kids are going to be angry with you. It does not say, don't do anything that would ever make them angry. That's not what it says. There's going to be times, if you're a good dad, where your kids are going to be angry with you. That's going to happen. We don't always give in to what they want, right? But Paul is telling us we should not provoke our children to anger. Dads, God knows us better than we even know ourselves. And his word shows us that. He knows that we have a sinful tendency toward this. Perhaps it's parenting them in such a way that causes bitterness over time. Perhaps it's being overly harsh. J.B. Phillips, in his wonderful paraphrase of the New Testament, translate this verse. he translates this verse as follows. Fathers, don't overcorrect your children or make it difficult for them to obey. I think that's wonderfully insightful and helpful. It could be too little time given to the relationship, being a disciplinarian and otherwise being distant from them, or, and this is the way that this verse has hit me this past week, he could also be referring to those times when we are getting our kids in trouble. Have you ever let your anger get the better of you? And only later realize that you crossed a line. Perhaps it was our wives who helped us to see it. Have you ever gotten to the point to where you were almost daring your kids to be disrespectful or disobedient? As if you were saying to them, just try me and see what happens. Dads, we have a tendency toward these things. If we're honest with ourselves. And God knows it. He knows us better than we know ourselves. Perhaps it was not an appropriate parental warning that we gave, but it was more of a challenge. Dads, don't provoke your kids to anger. Love them. Love them. Now, curiously here, we we have to see what's not here. It's instructive often in a Bible passage. It's instructive to to ask what's not here that you would expect to be here because there's no instructions to moms. Did you notice that? No instructions to moms, just an instruction to dads. And all the moms in the the sanctuary are like, that's right, that's right, because we're doing a great job. But seriously, though, I, I think what's going on here is that Paul is speaking to the men Because, men, we are the head of the family. God has made us the head of our household. 
Look at what it says at the end of verse 4. Dads, don't provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Dads, it's not primarily mom's job to teach your kids about God. It is not primarily mom's job to teach them the Bible. It is not primarily mom's job to lead them to Jesus. It's yours. You've been given that from the Lord. It's primarily your job, and God will hold you accountable for this. A lot of times when people ask me questions about things having to do with our kids' school or their medical history, I will say, I have no idea. You've got to ask my wife. That, that's her deal. That's her area, right? You guys have this? Dads, you have this too? I imagine in different ways we all have these areas where I'm like, I'm, I'm literally ignorant. I have no idea. That's her. So you're going to have to ask my wife on that, right? But on judgment day, fellas, the Lord is going to look at us first when it comes to the spiritual raising of our kids. And if he asks Did you bring your kids up in the training and instruction of the Lord? We're not going to be able to say, yeah, that was her job. So you better ask her. That's not going to fly. That's not going to cut it before the Lord. Dad, that's your job. Primarily, first and foremost, it is your job. Dads, we must take this burden upon ourselves, for the Lord has given it to us, and not primarily to our wives This doesn't mean you do everything. This doesn't even mean you have to know more about the Bible than your wife. That doesn't necessarily mean that. But it does mean it falls under your responsibility. Think of a a plant manager. Let's think of a, a manager of a steel plant. And a really bad accident happens at his steel plant. A really bad accident. And it let's say it kills someone. And the CEO of the company pays a visit. Who is he going to hold accountable for that accident that happened? Is it going to be the employee who made the mistake while on the job? No. Is it going to be the the supervisor of that particular line? No. Is it going to be the HR department? No. He holds the plant manager responsible, and rightfully so, because it falls under his jurisdiction. Whatever happens in that plant is his responsibility. Dads, that's us in our family. Spiritually, we have been given the task from the Lord to raise our kids up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. Fathers, bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. I want to end with this. Children, Paul says, God says, obey your parents, for this is right. Obey your parents in the Lord. We have an ultimate and wonderful example of a son in obedience to his father in everything that he did. Over and over again, as you read through the book of John, you will see Jesus saying things like, I've only come to do my father's will. I only do what the father tells me to do. He's an obedient son as to a father. And ultimately, his obedience extended all the way to the point of death. Philippians 2 tells us he became obedient to the point of death, obeying the will of God. Even though he went to the Garden of Gethsemane and was praying to the Lord, Father, if there's any other way. And he he told his disciples he was so distressed. His soul was like at the point of death. 
And he says, Father, if there's any other way. And yet he rose from that prayer with his face resolute, knowing what he had to do, being obedient to the Father's will and going to the cross, suffering the Father's wrath for the sin of mankind so that we might become children of God. If you obey the gospel, the New Testament says, if you will but obey the gospel, you too can become a child of God. You too can have your sins forgiven and washed away. And you too can know that when your time comes or when the Lord comes, you will have eternal life with him. If you obey the gospel. What does it mean to obey the gospel? It means to obey what God says for us to do, to become a Christian. To obey the gospel, we must believe in our hearts that Jesus is who he said he was. We must put our faith and our trust in him. To obey the gospel, we must repent of our sins. We must turn from our wicked ways and forsake the life we've been living and tell God and mean it from our hearts. I want to go the opposite direction. I want to live for you now. We must confess Jesus' name as Lord over our lives in front of others. And we must submit. We must be obedient to baptism, to be baptized into the name of Jesus. That is how you obey the gospel and you can become a child of God. That's what I'll leave you with today. Right now we're going to spend a few moments in prayer. Silent prayer. We ask each week... That during this time, you go to God and you respond to whatever he has laid upon your heart, as it is likely different than what he's laid on the heart of your neighbor. And so we want to give everyone a chance to respond to the Lord, not just those who may walk an aisle later. So we're going to spend a few moments in silent prayer for each one of us to respond. And after we pray for a few moments individually, we'll come back together. We'll have an invitation time where we invite those who need to respond to God's word publicly to do so. So let's pray right now.